And then he reaches over and he picks up this illustrated book that he had authored that's used in the Navajo Nation schools and libraries. And he opened to show us an artist depiction of a giant that had stood between 30 and 40 feet tall. And then he starts saying there was this time when the earth was infested with such great giants and alien gods that came down and destroyed and ate the people. Uh, some of them were in human form. Others, he said, were monsters like uh, human-animal hybrids, which I think the Old Testament also uh, describes. This is Dr. Thomas Horn, and you are watching End Times Productions. During research for our best-selling book, On the Path of the Immortals, I was given the unprecedented opportunity to sit down with and to film Dr. Don Mose Jr., a third-generation medicine man who I met with for a large part of a day during our investigation, who told me the oldest legends of the Anasaze, which he had been told by his great-grandfather, who likewise had been told by their ancestors, which included stories of the Anasaze turning to sorcery, sacrifice, and cannibalism after they lost their way and were driven insane by a reptilian creature, which they depict with a halo above his head. Uh, images of that being are, by the way, included in the petroglyphs that we filmed inside the canyons, and I believe that they likely attest to the fallen reptile or reptiles of biblical fame, which also misled humanity. Anyway, as I said in the traditional Hogan at one of the Navajo schools Dr. Don Mose teaches at, he began drawing in the sand on the floor and reciting the first part of the story of the ancient Anasaze and how it had been repeated to him by his father and grandfather who had also been told by their ancestors and so on, uh, a legend that Dr. Mose alone had undoubtedly repeated hundreds of times before at the Navajo school. Now, since it was obvious to us that this Navajo historian was really indifferent to our camera and our recording plans, and in fact, I could tell he was really uncomfortable with us putting him on film, but thankfully, he let us proceed nevertheless. But I sat there and listened respectfully as he proceeded for nearly two hours to describe to this white man what's only ever been allowed a few times in history before, and that is the legendary stories of creation, of giants, of a great flood, of a reptilian deceiver, uh, all from the voice of the nation's top medicine man. Um, Dr. Mose even sang to us in the antiquated tongue of what I would call Old Testament history, uh, paralleled in their earliest antiquity using the Navajo language. Now, not only did Dr. Mose substantiate the age-old and globally recorded story of those who come through portals and the impact that they have had on biblical and global history, past and present, not only did he weave Navajo Indian myths and legends seamlessly with our understanding of the six days of creation, um, the arrival of the Nephilim, 
and their connection to judgment by a global flood followed by the repopulating of people around the world and then a second incursion of the giants. But there were several instances in which when I pushed Dr. Mose for greater detail, he would go off script, actually delineating from the official Navajo storyline to provide greater consistency between history and the way the Bible itself recorded certain events. For example, as Mose was following the official storyline, the one that you would get from the Parks Department in the four corners of the U.S. about how the Anasaze uh, didn't disappear, but rather they slowly migrated out of the area and became the modern Pueblo Indians, uh, I expressed doubts to Dr. Mose about that story. And he responded by grinning just a little bit and saying, well, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but, and then he proceeded to tell us the older stories that his grandfather had repeated about these mysterious people actually disappearing after they, come, after they came under mind control from a reptile with a halo, this carnivorous creature, um, suspiciously similar to what I later described in the Path of the Immortals book as um, fiery seraphim, which comes from the Hebrew seraph, the Hebrew Old Testament, fiery serpent, uh, which also corresponds with a lot of other testaments around the ancient world, including the Sanskrit sarpa or sarpin, which means reptile, uh, and so on. Now, another case in point is when I told Dr. Mose of what we had learned from the Apache about cannibalistic giants and then God destroying them in a flood. And he looks right into the camera and he says, oh yes. And then he reaches over and he picks up this illustrated book that he had authored that's used in the Navajo Nation schools and libraries. And he opened to show us an artist depiction of a giant that had stood between 30 and 40 feet tall, and then he starts saying there was this time when the earth was infested with such great giants and alien gods that came down and destroyed and ate the people. Uh, some of them were in human form. Others, he said, were monsters like uh, human-animal hybrids, which I think the Old Testament also uh, describes. And then he followed that story with the famous Navajo legend of the white shell woman who gave birth to two of the most important characters in Navajo mythology, the twin miracle-performing sons, uh, one of uh, whose names literally translates slayer of alien gods um, and his twin brother. And that together, those Two great warriors killed many of the giants, hybrids, and the monsters that were destroying mankind. Um, as Dr. Mose described these ancient tales, I couldn't help but think of David killing Goliath and then later uh, other giants with his mighty men. Um, then there was a point where Mose paused and he said, you know, when the Christian missionaries first came to America, and told our people their stories of the giants and the great flood. He said, we smiled and let them know that we already knew these stories, that they had been told to us long ago by our own ancestors. Um, so perhaps that fact is why so many American Indians find it natural to convert to Christianity 
or why the nations seem to have no issues with many of their tribal elders and educators uh, being converts to Christianity. After a week on the road, um, having covered hundreds of miles of reservations to walk amidst their multiple ruins, including hogans, temples, kivas, um, to follow guides and visit with a medicine man, not to mention tracking down and photographing petroglyphs, we were finally on our way to the last site that we were going to visit, one that our Cherokee guide had told us not to miss. Um, we already collected enough pictogram and logogram images from ancient rock engravings throughout the Four Corners area to make our case and to calculate for our purposes a recurring theme, which um, definitely seem to match the Middle Eastern and biblical stories of portals, reptilians, fallen angels, giants, and the havoc that those creatures had played on the old world. Um, but this final petroglyph was important because our guide had said, and uh, one we could drive right up to, by the way, so we decided to make one final excursion, this time into Utah, 50 miles north of Moab, where one of the largest known collections of petroglyphs is located in the San Juan County. This storyboard that we would visit there was etched in sandstone as early as a thousand years before Christ. And it records um, practically every element contained in the Bible and extra-biblical texts involving spiral vortices um, and those who come through them, including human-animal chimeras and even giant six-fingered and six-toed footprints in pursuit of much smaller five-fingered and five-toed humans. Even that uh, re uh, reptilian that Dr. Don Mose had described uh, to us uh, with its halo was drawn there, just a couple of feet away from the alien-looking bug-eyed creatures. This location is also easier to get to uh, than most of the ones that we trekked to, yet it's as important, if not more so, than any petroglyphs. You could spend days hiking over miles of rough terrain to reach. It's called the Newspaper Rock Petroglyph. Um, and is somewhat decipherable as to which images are older due to the fading and darkness of the earlier depictions, which are certainly the most mysterious with their alien-looking creatures and suits and what might even be some type of a flying craft. Um, and archaeologists believe the writing on this Great Wall continued from a thousand years before Christ or earlier up until about A.D. 1300, the same time that the Anasazi suddenly disappeared. So the writing stopped when the Anasazi disappeared. The Anasazi, who disappeared when the habit of this type of writing also suddenly ceased, used images and symbols similar to those found globally that connect to a first and second incursion of giants and the mountainous gateways that those creators came through. Now that being true, if you take only the images that the Anasazi left behind and compare them to similar, in some cases identical, universal symbols found elsewhere around the world where the stories and meanings of the images have been made clear, and keeping in mind 
that these legends materialized globally at approximately the same time, it's more likely than not, in my opinion, that the universal story agrees with the record of every major culture of the ancient world in which the astonishingly consistent story is told of gods that descended from heaven and or came through spiral vortices to materialize in bodies of flesh. From Rome to Greece and before that to Egypt, Persia, Assyria, Babylonia, Sumer, the earliest re records of civilization tell of the era when powerful beings known to the Hebrews as watchers and in the book of Genesis as the Bnei Ha'ilohim, the sons of God, mingled themselves with humans, giving birth to part celestial, part terrestrial hybrids known as Nephilim. Um, the Bible says this happened when men began to increase on earth and daughters were born to them, when the sons of God saw the women's beauty and they took wives from among them to sire their unusual offspring. I believe a record of this first incursion of hybrid humans and six-toed giants is recorded in Genesis 6-4 uh, when it says there were giants in the earth in those days. That's the first incursion before the flood. And also after that, that is after the flood, the second incursion, when the sons of God came in under the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now note that when the Torah, that is Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, was written around B.C. 1300, this would have been the same time when archaeologists believe the Anasazi across the world from these Bible lands were drawing giant six-toed footprints on a slab wall in Utah and facing an alien enemy, as the name Anasazi implies. When the writings in the Torah are compared with other ancient texts, including Enoch, Jubilees, Baruch, uh, Genesis Apocryphon, Philo, Josephus, Jasher, Jubilees, and many others, not counting the uh, accounts of the American Indian tribes on this side of the world, it's clear that this is more than a, a legend. It is history. It's a chronicle told through different people's methods and worldviews involving giants suddenly infesting the entire world and then being wiped out in a flood, then somehow returning in a second incursion. Um, this story was written down globally from Hebrew scrolls to Indian petroglyphs to provide the oldest recorded testament of part human, part angelic creatures who were in turn the offspring of hideous reptilian entities or what the apocryphal book of Enoch calls fallen watchers. Um, similar to the paintings by ancient Anasazi, in documents found in cave four among the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a watcher named Melchrisha who is described in the form of a terrifying reptilian whose looks were frightening like those of a viper uh, and he was extremely dark, and his face is like that of an adder, the text says. Is Malkrisha or his fallen cohort the same as those halo-bearing reptiles that led the Anasazi to destruction? 
There's reason to believe they were. And after much comparison, I propose as reasonably justified a translation of the traditional Indian creation stories together with the Anasazi's petroglyphs as very telling. Uh, in the beginning, the great creator made everything. Then powerful reptilians came down from heaven through portals, the spiral, uh, halo, and reptilian symbols that we found in the petroglyphs. They came to deceive the world, as Dr. Don Mose told us, and the world fell into darkness. Um, this is also hinted in one of the meanings of the word anasaze, which can literally be translated according to the experts that we discuss this with as an alien enemy. Portals, represented in ancient spiral symbolism besides giant six-toed footprints and horned humanoid figures, uh, opened at this time, and alien gods or monsters and giants came through them. Some of these giants had six fingers and six toes, just as described in the Old Testament. Then the Creator destroyed the monsters and giants in a great flood. And yet the giants and reptilian deceivers returned, though not in the same numbers as had been before the flood. They turned um, the people, Dr. Mose told us, to sorcery, to cannibalism, and human sacrifice as did the plumed serpents of the Mesoamerican Maya and Aztec. Of course, one has to wonder what happened to the remains of the giants in America and whether the Smithsonian Institution actually participated in a cover-up as myself and my, like my friend Steve Quayle have alleged in our book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, uh, in making this deliberate effort to hide the giants' remains, uh, which would inconvenience, the theory of evolution, of which, of course, those at the Smithsonian celebrate. Uh, this would have been done as these bones were being discovered in early American archaeological digs. In fact, uh, Vince Deloria, a Native American author and a professor of law, sounded very suspicious that this conspiracy theory might be true when he wrote, quote, modern-day archaeology and anthropology have nearly sealed the door on our imaginations, broadly interpreting the North American past as devoid of anything unusual in the way of great cultures characterized by a people of unusual demeanor or giants, end quote. The great interloper of ancient burial grounds, he went on to say, the 19th century Smithsonian Institution created a one-way portal through which uncounted bones have been spirited. This door and the contents of its vault are virtually sealed off to anyone but government officials. Among these bones may lie answers not even sought by the officials concerning the deep past. Does the Smithsonian Institution uh, have an Indiana Jones-like large warehouse somewhere with aisles of American giant remains locked away? It's possible. I personally have dozens and dozens of old newspaper clippings published uh, with uh, skeletons of unusual size, 10 feet tall and even more, were being dug up all across the United States. I have so many of those, in fact, it could be a book all by itself. And these articles lend support to the legends of when the vicious giants were worldwide. While David was fighting them on one side of the world, 
It appears the Anasaze may have been building cliff dwellings in America to avoid them too, and their petroglyphs harmonize with that story. But the Anasaze evidence is not alone. Locations around the world that seem to connect to what I have called the second incursion of giants that came after the Great Flood certainly are prevalent. Uh, when the Vatican's advanced technology telescope and the large binocular telescope were being built, why did the indigenous peoples of Arizona, especially the San Carlos Apaches, why did they join environmentalists in filing dozens of lawsuits before a federal appeals court to try to stop the construction of the observations on uh, Mount Graham? Um, the project ultimately prevailed in favor of the Vatican and NASA after an act by the United States Congress ordered it to be done. But the question remained in our mind, why had the tribal communities fought so diligently against the construction of telescopes atop that mountain? Now, I had wrongly assumed that this was because Mount Graham was a sacred place, as in preceding generations of Native Americans had lived and died on it, and therefore it was considered holy ground, something like a graveyard. Um, but I learned later that while that was partially true, it really wasn't the big issue. The real dispute surrounded how Mount Graham is considered one of the four holiest mountains in the world for the Apache and is considered sacred to all of the region's native peoples, and it is so because it is what we might call a stargate um, in their mythos, a portal through which the star people have come since the dawn of time. And once we understood that fact, our suspicions as to why the Vatican and NASA had chosen that mountain in particular, um, even being willing to face a prolonged legal battle to build these telescopes on Mount uh, Graham, including the largest binocular telescope in the world where the Lucifer device is kept, uh, why would they have gone to all of that trouble? Why not just go to another mountain range and find basically the same height, the same environmental conditions? Why did it have to be that mountain? Um, now, we came to learn another thing, and that is that the San Carlos Apache um, have these preserved ancient tales concerning Mount Graham and that geography, including stories very similar to biblical chronology. Um, these legends involve a creator, uh, a deceiving dragon that follows an epic flood, and even a race of giants known as the Jindupids who were judged and destroyed by God. According to the legend, a race of Indians called the Tartums lived in the valley uh, between Tucson and Phoenix. These were just peaceful farmers uh, and they prospered until one day they were invaded by the Jindupids, described as Goliaths, who were so huge they used tree limbs for toothpicks. Well, these Nephilim <clears throat> were led by this massive man they call Evilkin, um, who allegedly came from the northeast and were headed south to their home beyond the Gulf of Baja. Um, these giants nearly wiped out the Tartums before they ran and hid themselves underground and in the mountains and prayed to Father Son, who then threw this huge fireball 
that came down to the earth, seared the monstrous Nephilim into the scorched uh, mountain rock, and wiped them out. Now, elements of that tale uh, are obviously mythological, but it has a remarkable thematic coherence with Genesis chapter 6. Um, the Apache creation myth is also interesting in this regard, um, as a particular version involves what they call the one who lives above, who descended down over the mountain in a flying disc uh, at the start of creation. Their, their myth begins, in the beginning, nothing existed, no earth, no sky, no sun, no moon, only darkness was everywhere. Um, and then the legend starts before noting that suddenly from the darkness emerged a disc. One side of it was yellow, the other side of it was white. Uh, it appeared suspended in midair. And within the disc sat a bearded man, the creator, the one who lives above. Um, now, besides this creator who rides in a heavenly disc, there's a dragon with the power of speech that turns up, bargaining with mankind, as well as supernatural gateways associated with mountains through which spirit beings have and can come. So suffice it to say that these ancient native ideas involving flying disks, flying creators, spirit guides, even owls and a talking dragon or a great serpent, uh, and supernatural gateways tied to mountain ranges. Um, this is something that began long before the Vatican cast its eyes on Mount Graham. Think how much these legends mirror what the Bible teaches, including the idea that mountaintops or high towers uh, were often depicted as places where doorways into the supernatural could be opened. For instance, Nimrod of biblical fame sets out to build a tower whose top will reach into heaven, Genesis 11:4 says. This was the infamous Tower of Babel, and uh, Nimrod was designing it so that the top of it would extend into Shamayim, heaven, the dwelling place of God. Um, the Jewish Encyclopedia confirms several historical records that Nimrod who it establishes was also identified by various ancient cultures as Osiris, Orion, Apollo, Gilgamesh, that he had built the Tower of Babel specifically to ascend into the presence of God, into the presence of Jehovah himself. And, of course, God came down and said of the tower's design that nothing would be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do, Genesis eleven six. So in other words, according to the Lord himself, Nimrod would have accomplished what he imagined to do, and that is to build a tower whose top would reach into the abode of God. Uh, even the name Babylon implies that, echoing the North and South American Indian beliefs about towering gateways, and the meaning gate of God or gateway to God. Now, that there could be sacred locations where those beings that can see into the supernatural realm could literally walk um, onto a high place and enter heaven is really not as far-fetched as it sounds. There are numerous records, including in the Bible, that appear to substantiate the idea 
that heaven can be attained on high towers or mountainous locations. So think about Moses meeting with God on Sinai, um, Jesus returning atop the Mount of Olives, the 200 watchers that descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon, and other examples, including Jacob's Ladder. First of all, CERN's Large Hadron Collider, the LHC, is the largest single machine in the world, located on the border of France and Switzerland. Uh, its stated purpose is to accelerate subatomic particles by the speed of light and force them to travel in a loop where they then collide um, in an attempt to recreate conditions that scientists believe applied during the earliest moments in the universe, the Big Bang and similar theories, uh, whereupon the origins of all life as we know it on Earth today might be finally studied and understood. Um, they've already discovered the so-called Higgs boson in uh, 2012, frequently referred to as the God particle, that is said to be the single particle that makes up all matter and led to the birth of the universe. But the hunt for proof of Earth's origin is not their only focus. As Josh Peck and I discovered in our year-long investigation that resulted in the book Abaddon Ascending, uh, and we are by no stretch of the imagination the only ones who believe this to be true, uh, as the secular media, rife with non-believers, scientists, atheists, and skeptics of the supernatural, have also all been in a buzz uh, over the global discussion around CERN, CERN's seemingly paranormal associations. Um, although CERN doesn't publicly profess to an agenda in relationship to God or Satan, evil versus good, the spiritual realm, as it would be described by Bible believers and so on, recall what some say was just a CERN ritual hope, deity Shiva at CERN, and well, it, what appears to be stabbing a woman to death in a human sacrifice. The video ends with the uh, videographer crying out and running away, and of course, when the film became public, experts at CERN said it was all just a joke. Um, but all this does suggest there is something more supernatural on the drawing board at CERN than what is being admitted. Even Adam Barker of Tech Bubble wrote of CERN a while back that with the LHC, CERN are expecting to find other dimensions and open portals to these dimensions. Uh, if you have the image of Stargate in your head right now, you're spot on. That's what he said. And then he went on to draw parallels to the biblical story of Jacob's ladder. Um, perhaps you remember the dream that the patriarch Jacob had um, as he was fleeing his brother Esau. Jacob leaves Beersheba. Uh, he's on his way to Haran, and he comes to a certain place, and he stays there that night because the sun had set. Um, taking one of the stones of the place, he puts it under his head. He lays down that place to go to sleep. And as he dreams, it says, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob wakes up from his sleep and he says, 
surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Um, and he was afraid. And he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, Genesis uh, 28. Now, this ladder uh, described in the first book of the Bible describes something like a portal from heaven to earth through which God's angels, interdimensional and spiritual beings from another reality, were traveling. Um, when Jacob wakes up, he refers to the location as a gate, much like today's trendy terms, gateway or stargate. Uh, one of Serm's goals is to recreate Jacob's ladder, according to uh, Barker, and to reopen a portal that is said to have existed between Earth, Mars, Venus, and Saturn when the planets were in alignment many years ago. But whether Jacob's ladder really existed, he says, CERN are pretty sure that other dimensions do, and they're making it their goal to ensure that they open the portal for their use. Who knows? Now, Sergio Bertolucci, who is the official director for research and scientific computing at CERN, he was asked a while back about this extra-dimensional doorway by the Register, which is a London and New York-operated science and technology journal. And he didn't hesitate with an enlightening response. He said, yes, out of this door might come something, or we might send something through it. And that sounds eerily similar to what Jesus said in uh, John 1.51 when he said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, prophecy in numerous parts of the Bible refer to a coming day when portals will be opened and spiritual entities are going to pass through and come to the earth. Now, if that's true, and if those verses are accepted for their literal meaning and not written off as some kind of poetic allegory, as some scholars have claimed, then the idea of CERN playing with gateways is a major concern. And if, as CERN claims, they're only out to explore space, time, matter, particles, and the origin of our known universe and planets from exclusively a scientific or Darwinian-related perspective, if their agenda is unrelated to Bible prophecy entirely, then what is it with all this mystical sim symbolism that they knowingly are associating themselves with? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for them just to proudly display a polished statue of a particle or some artist depiction of the Big Bang instead of the statue of Shiva? So for those who have not yet um, heard about this controversial piece of art that CERN proudly exhibits between buildings 39 and 40 near the main uh, building of their operation, it stands as really the most visible and celebrated imagery behind their work, Shiva. This is the Hindu god of destruction and uh, a symbol of Shakti, or the life force. Um, he is known very well as the destroyer. And in fact, in 2004, the government of India, which has had a long-standing friendship with leaders behind the CERN project, even before the completion of the Large Hadron Collider, they gifted CERN with this bronze work of an art uh, depicting Shiva as uh, Nataraja, the lord or sometimes king of the dance. This dance that Shiva performs 
uh, uh, in the sculpture is the one that provides the source of the creation cycle in Hindu mythology, the preservation of all life and existence and the termination of all life and existence. The Rudra Tandava is a dance that especially displays Shiva's um, sadistic personality as he rains down the ultimate destruction upon a weary planet. Now, from the unveiling of this Nataraja on CERN grounds, controversy's been launched from all sides, including irreligious groups, uh, with questions uh, as to CERN's motive in its exhibition. So far, CERN's response have just most often pointed to the, to the notion that the statue was simply a gift to an international and multicultural scientific institution, and they show uh, it there on their property as an act of gratitude. But if pure appreciation were the only contributing factor, the implications behind the symbolism might continue to disturb, disturb some, uh, but it's likely that the issue would at least be dropped by many irreligious groups that uh, could find within themselves to accept the motive that's being put forward by CERN. The, uh, the plaque at the side beside the statue, however, reads in part, hundreds of years ago, Indian artists created visual images of dancing Shivas in a beautiful series of bronzes. In our time, physicists have used the most advanced technology to portray the patterns of the cosmic dance. The metaphor of the cosmic dance thus unifies ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. So right there out in the open for all to see is a direct correlation between the Hindu perception of Shiva hundreds of years ago, which is the concept of destroyer uh, that I explained a moment ago, and our time unifying, quote, ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. Additionally, a significant section of CERN is built upon the St. Genus Poili, which is a commune in Ain, uh, a department of France. In Roman times, the St. Genus Poili was called Apaliacum. Uh, the name Poili comes from the Latin Apaliacum with the Latin suffix lacum, which den denoted possession. Um, but the town and a temple were dedicated there in ancient times to Apollyon, the destroyer, the Shiva Horus, if you will. Apollyon uh, is also the angel of the bottomless pit, referred to in Revelation 9-11. And then there is a connection between CERN and the Gothard-based tunnel, the GBT, which is the world's deepest and longest tunnel system, consisting of two parallel passages, each moving in a single direction on a single track. The GBT passes directly beneath St. Gothard's Pass, a strategic um, north-south corridor that connects northern and southern Switzerland. Um, the connection to the Large Hadron Collider and... Uh, the GBT has to be made primarily because of the bizarre opening ceremony that was live streamed to the entire world on June 1, 2016, that included this highly occult demonic dance with characterization, um, beginning with a call to 
unite the religions of the world by conducting an interfaith blessing of the tunnel beside a statue of St. Barbara, the patron saint of minors. Um, following the blessing at the statue of St. Barbara, the press, along with visiting dignitaries, also paid tribute to the nine miners who had lost their lives during construction of the uh, tunnel. Uh, Bodillo's southern portal provided the visiting dignitaries a disturbing parade, really, of miners, erotic dancers, zombies, fallen angels, a transsexual love fest, um, all of whom were obeying the call of what they called the shepherd, whose yodels invoked the appearance of the event's uh, infernal master of ceremonies, a goat man, um, portrayed by a young and energetic dancing male. This creature is shown with a Baphomet headdress, a goat, uh, a goat demon's head, if you will, and a goat body costume with a hairy pelt. And then it had a formal tuxedo over the top. Um, the imagery was heavily evocative of the German and barbarian uh, Christmas demon known as Krampus. Now, according to tradition, Krampus accompanies St. Nicholas on his midwinter rounds with the intent to steal boys and girls, putting them into a basket carried on his back, uh, or he may decide to beat them with branches for being naughty. Uh, Maurice Bruce published a book on pre-Christian Alpine traditions in 1958, and he had this to say about the half-goat, half-demon entity. There seems to be little doubt as to the true identity for, in no other form is the full regalia of the horn god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens, rites which entailed binding and scourging as a form of mock death. The chains could have been introduced in a Christian attempt to bind the devil, but again, they could be a remnant of pagan initiation rites. Krampus, despite his negative imagery and proclivities, was wildly popular during the holidays in Germanic and Alpine countries, so much so that an entire um, subgenre of greeting cards known as Krampus uh, that invariably say things translated into English that mean greetings from Krampus uh, were created, still used today. Late, late 19th century and turn of the century cards often feature Krampus with children, uh, but also with buxom women. If those birch branches that turn up in the artwork are phallic in nature, then that makes perfect sense. Many show the goat man uh, in formal dress and a tuxedo-style cutaway um, formal coat and trousers, but with his usual horned goat face and always with his tongue extended. Now, this tongue-out pose seems to be popular with ancient uh, gods, whether they're Mayan, Hindu, Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, or even British. Um, for some reason, the coat of arms from the Prince of Wales supports both a lion and a unicorn with their tongues extended, for instance. More than likely, this tongue position represents sexual lust. 
uh, and sex magic, fornicating with fallen angels, which is probably the real reason that old Krampus can't keep his tongue inside his head. The ancient symbol of the horned god, referenced by Maureen Bruce uh, in the quote that I made a moment ago, it allows us to connect our goat demon from the opening ceremony uh, at the uh, GBT to CERN. Despite the fact that the Large Hadron Collider uh, sits three to four hours down a twisty road from the location, the Horn God's circular logic and passion for human depravity, uh, Hernunos, as is sometimes called, or Cernunos, uh, or the Green Man of British lore, uh, simply had to make an appearance at this occult ceremony. Josh Peck and I uh, and many other researchers have written extensively regarding the in-game plans for tunneling beneath the earth and smashing atoms to smithereens as nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to open portals. But the opening ceremony at Gothard uh, made it clear that these portals are intended to do something else, and that is to release demonic entities. The twin tunnels of the Gothard base tunnel um, commence with twin portals on a single track. These northward and southward journeys symbolize the death-birth-death cycle of the green man who dies in the fall and winter and rises in the spring-summer. The tunnel ceremony was all about sex rites and rebirth, leading to a new world order that's a complete reversal of the Judeo-Christian design. Uh, this included the triple goddess and the horned god, along with human sacrifice and a return to pagan worship, all of which lie at the center of this nauseating ritual play, which you can probably still watch uh, on YouTube, which commenced with the interfaith blessing and the invocation of the triple goddess, and then this shepherd arouses a horned man who struts into the scene, complete with eerie red lighting and smoke like he's rising from the abyss, that also included this creepy angel that flies down over the top of some of the miners, pres uh, presumably representing the nine who died. And then once the first phase, we'll call it the opening of the portal, concluded, the various religious and political dignitaries boarded the train and headed toward the northern terminus at Ertzfield. Um, and note that the choice to begin in the south and end in the north represents the ascension of something to the surface, um, that is, the opening of the abyss. The primary performances took place on a massive outdoor stage in Ertzfield, a small city that lies uh, within the uh, canton of Uri in Switzerland. Uri, by the way, is a type of extinct bison echoing the horned theme once again. So as the dignitaries settled into their comfortable bandstand seats, a display lit up, showing what looked like a huge rock mountainside. Dancers dressed as miners climbed this rock face and they dug into the earth, so to speak, to unveil what was beneath the earth, a great machine uh, formed from human arms that rotated and churned into various shapes and design, uh, many of which resembled the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. Once this opening was achieved, the miners stripped off their orange jump chute 
uh, attire uh, and uh, took up arms. That is, they used staves to perform a dance routine that looked like warfare. Then once that battle concluded, a group of women joined the men, uh, and the women were wearing only white underwear. And the entire dance troupe uh, engaged in a frenzied display amidst a cloud of dust that simulated smoke, I guess. Um, and it was this frenzic dance that aroused a giant. So clearly, the endeavor um, connected to CERN is far more than Switzerland's braggadocio about an engineering feat. The connection between CERN and ritualistic summoning of a sleeping giant, the horned god of Cernunos or even Melkart, uh, both are types of the ri uh, rising dying god. And Melkart slept for half the year, which may be why Elijah told the priests of Baal to call louder because he might be sleeping. Um, now, as the giant in this ritual dance awakens, the dancers perform ritualistic sex rites, similar to what I believe unfolded on Jeffrey Epstein's island, if you will. Um, and you can read our exhaustive analysis of the symbolism behind the mom, that mind-boggling uh, event in Abaddon Ascending. Of course, I can only speculate, um, but I note the connection between Nimrod, Apollo, and Abaddon, Apollyon at CERN, and the history of the region uh, are all highly curious. Apollo was worshipped by the Romans of that area, as well as the Greeks and in central France. Apollo was equated with the Celtic god, Atep Omerus. Um, these two characters were combined to create Apollo Atep Omerus, which can be translated as great horseman or possessing a great horse. In the Celtic belief, horses were closely related to the sun. The interesting thing to note is the connection between this idea of Apollo being associated with horses in France, uh, where part of the LHC and CERN resides, and what the book of Revelation states about Abaddon, where it says, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon." End quote. I also note that Revelation chapter 9, after describing how these devil worshipers will be judged during the great tribulation period, it ends in verse 21 saying, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries, which is the Greek pharmakia, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now, pharmakia is the word that describes the ancient occultic effort to use mind-expanding drugs during rituals in order to open a doorway for making contact with unseen supernatural entities. So given these descriptions, is it possible that CERN will have something to do with the opening of the bottomless pit described in Revelation 9?